Good morning, y'all. Would you stand with me for just a minute? How many would really like for the Holy Spirit to encounter you this morning? Okay. Let's ask him right now. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus that you would come and that you would encounter every heart with your living word. That you would, by your Holy Spirit, who is the teacher of the church, impart living words into us, into our hearts and our souls and our minds. And would you shape us and would you let them explode inside of us and give us wisdom and understanding and passion and life and fire. Work in us, Lord. Conform us to the image of your Son, even this morning. Do not let anyone escape here, Lord, without encountering your living word. Same online. Let them encounter the living word of Jesus this morning. And we thank you. Amen. If you want that, say amen. Have a seat. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3 is where we've been for a little while. We'll see if we can get through that today. Don't, don't look at you. Do you want a snack or a meal this morning? Snack or a meal? Okay. Let, let's go for it then. Let's go for it then. I'm not real good at snacks. Colossians 3. So what we've been talking about is preparing, doing our part to partner with the Lord in the building the atmosphere that he desires in this body that welcomes him. We're being built together as living stones, right? into a temple for God's permanent habitation, Ephesians 2. And 1 Peter also says the same kind of thing. <clears throat> so God is building us together into a habitation that he can permanently dwell in. And here's the deal. There's some kinds of atmospheres that the Father loves, and there's other kinds that he doesn't love. He doesn't love strife and division. He doesn't love carnality. He doesn't love pride, right? He resists those things, but there are certain things that he loves, and we want to give him what he wants, right? Our mission and our goal and our purpose in Heart of the Father is to give God what he wants. It's not about giving us what we want first, right? Right? It's about giving God what he wants. So that's the question. Lord, what do you want? And so we're, we're examining Scripture, and there's a lots of different aspects of this, as you know. But here in Colossians chapter 3, I've chosen this passage, and there's three main points that I think are emphasized in here that I want to talk about. Um, we have read this passage, and we're going to read it again right now. This is Colossians 3, starting at verse 12 through 17. If you want to read along with me, <clears throat> we'll do a little review, not much, and then we'll get into the third point, Lord willing. He hasn't been willing up to this time, but tonight I or today I think he is. Okay, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Wow. Wow. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the 
perfect bond of unity or it's the bond of perfection. Love is the bond that brings us to maturity in Christ. And without it, we don't arrive there. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be the umpire. Make the calls in relationships to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Those verses encompass point number one. Anybody remember what point number one? What kind of atmosphere are we building here? What is the first thing we talked about? I know it's been a few weeks, so we'll give you a pass on this. Anybody? Treasure each other. Okay, this is different than tolerate each other. This is treasuring each other. This is real biblical love. Because the example that we have of loving one another, right, is Jesus' prayer in John 17. He's getting ready to walk out of that room and go to Gethsemane and be crucified. And what's on Jesus' mind? Father, I pray that they will be one even as you and I are one. What? Our oneness is supposed to mirror to the world what it's like to be in the Trinity. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. That's a lot different than just a little surface, how you doing and looking at the back of somebody's head. It really is. And we're, we're moving in that direction. So, y'all, I just want to say how happy I am and how proud in the good sense of that word I am to be part of this body. Like, I, I mean that. I see this happening every day in this body where people are really going out there, reaching out, loving in deep and meaningful ways. It's beautiful to see. It is the Holy Spirit. That is just as much the Holy Spirit moving as a healing revival where a thousand people get healed. That is the Holy Spirit moving. Come on, that was pretty weak. That's a miracle. And that's the Holy Spirit that's doing that. And that's the atmosphere that the Father loves. He goes, if you want me to come and make my permanent habitation there, we're not going to have these little shallow relationships. We're actually going to love deeply. We're going to sacrifice for one another, right? All of the things that the Bible teaches us that we acknowledge with our head, but we don't necessarily do because we think if we talk about it, then we've done it. I'm talking about the American way now. Okay, We're getting out of that way. And we're going... To give God what he wants. So treasure each other. Verse 16 is point number two. And I could go on this for a long time. I'm going to resist that temptation. Let the word of Christ richly. Such a beautiful word. Richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. So the point is, everything in our community we want to saturate with the Word of God. We're not coming here to give our own opinions or even our own experiences as being the foundation for what we're doing because God loves His Word. He loves His Word. Have you ever read Psalm 138, verse 2? You should read it sometime. It's powerful. It says, Lord, you have exalted your name and your Word above everything. powerful. He loves his word and he abides where his word is honored and treasured and cherished and believed and acted on and obeyed. So we want everything to be permeated. This is why, guys, do you appreciate the worship here? They're singing the Bible. 
We're singing God's word back to him, and he loves to hear that. This is an atmosphere that the Father loves. We're going to keep putting it out there. We're going to preach this word day in and day out. We're going to live this word day in and day out. This is the standard of truth that God has given us, and this is the only true, full, and accurate revelation of who God is. We can read about experiences, and all of that might be helpful, but that's, this is the authoritative. God's autobiography is the thing that tells us what he really is like and what his ways are. I'm going to move on. Point number three is verse 17. And here it is. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Okay, I'm going to unpack this verse, but here's the point. We want to be radically Christ-exalting. Radically Christ-exalting because the Father is radically Christ-exalting, right? Not substitutes, not other things. Let me tell you, Paul wrote the book of Colossians or the letter to the Colossians, and he was addressing an error. Bible scholars call it the Colossian heresy. What was the Colossian heresy? Well, it was a mishmash of a lot of different things. They didn't throw Christ out, but they diluted Christ. They diluted him with other philosophies. So Paul, if you look in chapter 2 of Colossians later, you can read there. He gives us basically four different characteristics of what was happening in the church of Colossae. He says, you've embraced the philosophies of men and not that which is according to Christ. So this sounds good. It sounds like human wisdom. And what were some of those characteristics? One is that they reveled in visions and angelic visitations. They're all about the encounter, but the encounter wasn't centered on the person of Jesus. It was just the experience of, let's just, let's just have an experience that's supernatural. Angelic visitations. Let's have those kind of encounters. Let's have visions, and we're going to base our doctrine on that. What else? They took pieces of the Jewish law and celebrated Jewish festivals, and they were into Treating the body harshly, like you need to fast and like the desert fathers did. Go out and bury yourself up to your neck in the sand for 30 days and then come back and get me in 30 days. Just thinking that somehow treating our body in a very austere manner was going to produce spirituality. Paul says it's of no value in putting down the indulgences of the flesh, he says in this letter. And then they... So I said the man-made philosophy, Jewish dietary laws and festivals, don't, don't touch, don't eat, don't eat these certain things. The extreme self-denial of the body, angels and visions. So it's a mishmash. What's the problem with that? The problem is, and this is Paul's point in the whole letter to the Colossians, Jesus Christ himself alone is completely 100% sufficient for all that you need in the plan of salvation. He is all the fullness of God. He is the fullness of God in bodily form, everything that you need. He's all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and everything else. So why would you dilute him? When you dilute him, it's like pouring water in your gas tank. Anybody ever try that? I have put diesel in a gas engine 
gas tank before by accident. It, wa it wasn't pretty. It was like you lit a bag of leaves on fire in the cab of the truck. It smoked so bad. I limped down to my mechanic. He laughed for 10 minutes, and then he got his composure, and then he charged me three or $400 to pull up the gas tank, drain it all out, and clean all that mess out. If we delude Jesus, we don't have the real Jesus. If we have to mix him with other things, we don't have the real Jesus. Here's Paul's point. Jesus is sufficient. He is supreme. So we're going to exalt him. How do we do that? There's lots of ways that we dilute Jesus in the charismatic movement and in the church in general. Okay, I'm not throwing everything under the bus, but th this is real. We get bored with the real Jesus. It's because we don't see him. And so we have to add things in. I'm all for encountering Jesus, but encounters for the sake of encounters with the supernatural are not necessarily what we need. I, I know. I tend to get, um, no, never mind. Let's go back to chapter 1 of Colossians. Just read a few verses here, and then we're going to move into this. This is, this is the name of Jesus that we're talking about. Do everything in his name. What does that mean? I want to unpack that. What does it mean to have a community where whatever we do in word and deed, we're doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? What does that mean? Okay, let's start out here with Paul's description of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 13. I want to read uh, verses 13 through 18. For he rescued us he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. See, he, the beloved son, the father delights in him, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the perfect representation of God in the flesh. He's the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean he was created. Firstborn means that he has the highest authority. Did you know in Psalm 89, David is called the firstborn, even though he was the lastborn in his family? Firstborn means authority and privilege. Jesus is the firstborn above all creation. He has the highest authority and the highest privilege in all of the universe. For by him, verse 16, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and... Through him and for him. So are you telling me that everything that was made was made with the purpose and intent that it be pleasing to Jesus? Is that what you're telling me? Are you telling me that everything that was made, whether creature or Grand Canyon or mountains or volcanoes or lakes or oceans? Are you telling me that everything that was made was made for the purpose of pleasing Jesus? Are you telling me that every person that was created was created for the purpose of pleasing and honoring Jesus? That's pretty high honor, right? Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then, hold on to your seat. Verse 18, this is so powerful. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place 
in first place in first place in everything. So here's what you're going to find in the book of Colossians. Paul's going after this. Look, here's your answer. I know you guys think you've got a greater um, form of spirituality and that this is going to be really exciting because we're going to mix this stuff in there. We're going to mix this stuff in here. We're going to draw the Jewish people in by the dietary laws. We're going to draw the ascetics in by being really harsh to your body. We're going to draw the people that are just wanting counters because we've got angels. He's saying, you're, you're missing. If you're diluting and mixing Jesus with anything, then you've reduced his power and his glory and his honor. He's already the fullness of everything. He's already everything created for him. He's already the fullness of God in bodily form. He doesn't need to have something added to him to make him more attractive and better. Why am I saying this? The Father's agenda in verse 18 This is the Father's agenda every second of every day. This is the Father's agenda every time we meet together is that His Son would come to have first place and be exalted. I want to tell you on a personal level, one of the things that is a driving passion of my heart, being part of the church of Jesus Christ, being part of heart of the Father, is that we rightly, when we gather together, if we only do one thing, we have to do this one thing. We have to honor Jesus rightly. He cannot be dishonored in his own house. That is not acceptable. It's not okay. I've been around for a little while. What am I talking about? It grieves me to no end. When other things are honored, extolled, and delighted in by the people of God more than Jesus himself. There's lots of times I've been in church services and conferences where I just wanted to run out and scream or vomit. Is it okay if I'm just honest and edgy? Can can I just tell you what I really feel in my heart? I love, love, love the moving of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I love, 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 and have studied for years revival history and the moves of God throughout history. I love that stuff. But if I could be honest with you, there's a lot of mixture that happens And Jesus gets dishonored in his own house because he's not the main thing. He's not the most delightful thing. He's not the most desirable thing. There's other things that are more desirable. And it's the things that he can do, but it's not so much himself. Can can I I just tell you something? I'm not throwing any stones or any rocks. I've just had this thing going on in my heart recently, like, you know what, I'm just going to lay things out on the table and just tell the truth, and let's just let it hit the fan, if it hits the fan, and then, and then let's deal with it. Because if, if we can't do that, then I, I don't think that we're real family, and we are real family. I get grieved when there is someone that's especially gifted, let's just say in the word of knowledge or in prophetic kind of gifting. Here's what I've observed over and over again, not, not, not just in Lakeland, but when I lived in Tulsa, Rama, same thing. 
it's all over. Somebody's used in the word of knowledge. They've got the microphone. They're walking around, seeing who the Lord might call out. Okay, let's just worship the Lord. I don't know how many times I've observed this, but it's a lot. Okay, and everybody's like, can I just tell you, I want to cry. I want to cry. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you're not enough that we have to be entertained by you. I'm so sorry that somebody that you gave a gift to now has become the focal point that we're all so excited about. That grieves me. It makes me want to cry. Sometimes it makes me want to vomit. When I was at Ramah, this is what they teach in Bible college. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry if you're in Bible college and this is what they taught you because it's a lie. It's false. You hang around people and rub shoulders with them who have influence because by doing so, they might notice you and then they might be able to give you influence. That's so false. Who is the real attraction and passion and love of our heart? Who is the real fullness? And what is it about Jesus that we're excited about? Is it the things that he does that are shiny and awesome? You, you understand, right? You, you know, you've been around me long enough to know that I'm not in any way quenching the move of the Spirit or not desiring God to move in miraculous ways. Not, not in any way. What I am wanting to do is to refocus our heart's desire. Doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, one of the things that that means is rightly honoring and recognizing Him in everything that we do, in everything that we say. And Paul uses this word, the Greek word for everything, repeatedly throughout this book in reference to Jesus. Because he's telling these people, you guys are trying to make up and add all of these things to Jesus. Like, he's not sufficient. He's like, the reason you don't see him as sufficient and supremely desirable is because you don't see him right. And so the cure for our ills as believers today when we're bored in the charismatic movement, we're bored with Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm using very broad terms. I'm not saying you. It's because we don't see and we get diluted with adding lots of things to him. A diluted Jesus is not a powerful Jesus. A diluted Jesus is not even a true Jesus. It's not the real one. The true Jesus is the power of God. He is all of the fullness of God and he is all of the wisdom of God. You guys, so are you doing okay? Are you okay with me getting a little edgy and just venting a little bit? This has grieved me for decades. Um, this kind of stuff it grieves me. To be honest with you, makes me want to cry. 
And um, in this house, by the grace of God, Jesus is going to be the supreme attraction. Regardless of what he does, and people, look, listen to me, the water's rising. God's doing some things, and I, I'm not going to be surprised at all if, like, he blows our mind. I'm, I'm for real. But whatever he does, he's still going to be the main attraction and focus. If he sends a band of angels in here, and they come in here and kick the band out of the instruments, and they start playing up here... And singing, we better record that if that happens, right? <laughs> Jesus is still going to be the exalted center. He's the blazing fire that is the passion inside of our soul. Why? That's the Father loves him. This is my son in whom I delight. I love him supremely. That's why he loves Jesus so much. That's why his whole plan for redemption is to make all of us look just like Jesus. He's so amazing. I want you to look just like him. we got some work to do. But we're going to work on you by your, my spirit, and we're going to shape you into the image and the beauty, and you're going to begin to love his ways and love his truth. We're going to shape everything in you that's not rightly aligned to Jesus. We're going to take it out of the way. When I was building, we were building our house years ago, 27 years ago now, we've lived in our house. We had a really great brother who was a contractor, and uh, he would meet with us out the house a lot, just looking at stuff, and I remember one day going through there, and they had just put the studs up inside the house, and he had a level with him, and we're walking through the house, and he's taking, and he's putting that level against all the studs going across there to make sure that it touches all of them and that they're all straight. He's doing this. He's doing this. And then he turns around, and he starts kicking the studs out of the wall. I'm like, what are you doing? He's kicking the studs out of my wall in my living room. This is a real thing. I'm like, Blake, what are you doing, dude? He goes, they're not straight, and they're not rightly aligned, and they're not going to stay here. They're not right. He gets the framing guy, and he comes over there. He says, look, this is not right. You see that? That's not acceptable. Get it right. Everything has to be rightly aligned. I want to tell you in the kingdom of God, we have to be rightly aligned to the head, to the Lord Jesus, or he's coming to kick it out. Because the Father is meticulous about everything being rightly aligned to his Son. To everything. Look at verse 17 again. So good. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This, this is a great... So I'm a, I'm a word guy, and I, I, I like to look at the Greek text... And, and all of that. But here's how it would read. If you read Greek, here's how you would read it in, in your Greek New Testament. The sentence starts with the word everything. That means that word is emphasized. It would read like this. Everything, whatever you do, word or deed, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's how it reads. 
What's the emphasis in that verse? Everything. Go back to verse 11. Look at the end of that verse. But Christ is all in all. Same word. Everything. Christ is everything and in everything. Paul uses that phrase about Christ over and over again because he wants to cure the ills of the church that thinks that they have to water down Jesus, dilute Jesus, mix Jesus with other things in order to get something that's going to be palatable and attractive. Can I tell you something? God has a different plan of building his church than men do. How do I know that? Because Acts chapter 5 says that Ananias and Sapphira lied about a faith promise that they made, and they fell dead in the church a couple hours apart. They carried them out and buried them. And then it said great fear was upon everyone, and no one dared to join himself to them. So the whole unbelieving community was terrified. Dude, don't go to that church. You might fall dead. And the very next sentence says, And the Lord added daily multitudes of men and women to the church. How's that work? Put that in a book for church growth. You know why? When the Father is pleased with the place and he feels like he's rightly honored and his truth is rightly honored, he can bring people in like nothing. He wants to bring people where he knows it's going to be safe for them, where the Lord Jesus Christ is a central attraction, and it's not something that's built by men. Y'all, I'm getting lathered up today. Jesus is the center. Everything, 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 whatever you do, word or deed, do all in the name. What does that mean to do it? In the name of Jesus. Like when you take a bite to eat and you sit down at your dinner, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the na- is, that, is that what it's talking about? What does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? Is it just saying the words? I want to submit to you, it is recognizing who he is. Because in the Bible, as you know, name signifies someone's character It signifies, in God's case, his glory, his majesty, his attributes. So to do things in the name of the Lord Jesus is to rightly recognize him for who he really is in his fullness and act accordingly. So if you're doing something in the name of Jesus, you don't lie to people. You don't lie on your income tax. You don't cheat on your spouse. You don't slander people. Come on. You can't do that in the name of Jesus. Everything that we do, our motivations are shaped by who Jesus is. Our choices are shaped by who Jesus is. Our passions are shaped by who Jesus is. And that's how we live and act in our lives. I get amazed sometimes, to be honest with you. I was talking with a friend this last week, and we were just talking about um, marital issues and different different things. And, And I... He made the comment, I, I don't see how people can cannot be afraid to do that stuff. And we got into this conversation about the fear of the Lord. It's because, the, like the Bible says, there's no fear of the Lord before their eyes. Like, they don't think this is part of doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because one day, every single one of us, every one of us, Paul said it was him, so that includes us, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged 
on what we did and what we said. Jesus said, every idle word that you say is going to come under judgment on that day, Matthew 12, 37. Makes me want to put a big leash right around there. No, no, don't say that. That informs the way that we live. The way that we treat each other, do you know the Bible specifically says this? Masters, treat your servants well because you know you have a master in heaven and you're going to give account. Everything in all of our life and our relationships, part of doing things in the name of the Lord Jesus. You go, well, I don't like that. That's fearful. No, this is reality. The Son of God is the standard, and He is the one who sets the rules, and every person who's ever lived will be judged through Him. Does the Bible teach that, or did I make that up? Okay. Maybe we need to go to, to those verses, but we won't. Everything. Everything that you do, do it in the name of the Lord. So what is his name? It's the fullness of his character. This is how we live now, under the banner and the shadow of the greatness of Jesus. His greatness shapes our loves, our pursuits, our motives, our choices, and our actions. His glory and his supremacy swallow up every category of our lives. I'm telling you, this is what the Father wants. Every category, this is so much different than we go and we attend a church on Sunday and we go there and get our little spiritual snack. It's more than a snack to me. And then we're good to go for the rest of the week and we can go live our life the way we want. That's not what he's talking about. He wants a people, the Father wants to dwell in the midst of a people who are intentional and passionate about every part of their life being rightly aligned and conformed to who Jesus is. What if we honored Jesus like that? Do you think we would have to plead with God to come and to move by His Spirit in our midst? Well, y'all are getting quiet on me. Did, did I shut you down because I got too intense? Are you okay? Sorry about the intensity. Pray for my wife. She's loved me through all of these years, and sometimes I can get intense. There's most things I, I don't care. I just don't care. I'm okay. I'm just like, yeah, 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 yeah. But when, when it gets on a subject, she'll squeeze my arm, and I know what that means. That means they think you're angry. <laughs> they, they, they think you're angry. And so I'm like, okay, take a deep breath. They think I'm angry. I, I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. This matters. This matters. And if I could convince you that this matters and you shifted course that much in eternity, you will be forever grateful to the Lord. What is the name? Judges chapter 13. I had lunch a couple weeks ago with my buddy Toby, and he reminded me of this passage. I was already reading through Joshua and Judges for the last couple of months, he reminded me of this passage. It's so powerful. Judges 13. I want to make the point that we only see the Father in part. We don't see him fully for who he is. We think we know all about Jesus, but we only see, Paul said, through a glass dimly. And so it should motivate us to continually cry out and seek 
the Lord to open the eyes of our heart to see him as he really is. Because when we see him as he really is, everything really does change and we act differently. So this is the story in Judges 13. Maybe it's a little obscure to you if you haven't read Judges in a while. This is Manoah, who is the father of Samson, and the interaction that he and his wife had with the angel of the Lord when they're predicting Samson's birth as the next judge of Israel. Chapter 13, I'm going to read verse 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, but by the way, the angel of the Lord many times in the Old Testament and here for sure is the Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate state. This is a Christophany. It's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. This for sure is here, and you'll see why I say that in just a minute. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. I want to read you a couple other translations. You wouldn't understand. It's sheer wonder. It's incomprehensible beyond human understanding. And the note in the Net Bible, and if you're in Bible college, you need to put the Net Bible on your Christmas list. I'm just telling you, you need it. Um, so helpful. Here's the note under this word. The Hebrew adjective wonderful refers to what is in a category of its own and is beyond full human understanding. What is your name, angel of the Lord, Lord Jesus? <laughs> you wouldn't get it. Even if I tried to explain it to you, you couldn't grasp how glorious and wonderful I really am. And then when Manoah burns the burnt offering there, the Lord Jesus goes up in the smoke to heaven. Then he goes, they fell on their face and they recognized, my goodness, that was the angel of the Lord. You wouldn't understand. We see him part. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Love this passage. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to read verses 5 through 12. We're talking about the name and doing everything in his name. Second Thessalonians 1.5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. That's interesting, isn't it? That suffering is one of the things that qualifies us to inherit the kingdom. How many want to throw this passage out right now? You want to just tear that up? It's really true. We will reign with him, right? Romans 8 says, if, if we suffer with him, we will. So this is part of the thing. Our theology of suffering in um, America is, is really poor. The reality is God uses suffering to perfect us and to make us worthy of his kingdom. Verse 6, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus, 
will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty. Notice this, verse 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Do, do, do you see that the most horrible thing about eternal judgment is not the fire and it's not all of that? It's not the worm? It's the fact that they're going to be separated forever from the presence and the glory of the Lord because that is the source of everything that's good. That's what hell is. It's complete separation from God's presence and from His goodness forever. And there is nothing more horrible than that. Verse 10, when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. When Jesus comes back again, as much as we've studied and memorized the Bible, as much as we've prayed and been to prayer meetings and done all of those things, His glory is going to be so much greater than our comprehension of Him that the Bible uses that word marveled, which means we're going to be astonished. Our jaw is going to hit the ground and we're going to go, Oh my gosh, you are so much greater than I ever imagined that you were. That's what's going to happen when he comes back. For the unbeliever and for the believer. Why is it that we have this propensity, proclivity as human beings to latch on to the reflected glory of the Lord instead of the Lord himself? In Romans chapter 1, when Paul's talking about the lostness of the, all the Gentile nations, he basically says they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness about God. And they chose the creation over the creator. They believed the lie. And they chose the creation over the creator. We get enamored with the reflective glory of the Lord instead of the Lord himself as being the blazing center of all that is beautiful and glorious. How do I know this is true? The Bible. This is called idolatry. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, they made sexuality their God, their idol. All kinds of pleasures seeking after that. Well, God created pleasures. But he didn't want us to worship them. Those are secondary things. You follow what I'm saying? Those are secondary things. We need to say in our heart, no, the source of this is the, my heart's desire and my delight. Listen, twice in the book of Revelation, this is so phenomenal. How many believe that the apostle John was pretty devoted to Jesus? He's the one who laid his head on his breast. And when the disciples needed to know who he was talking about at the table, remember? John, you ask him, who's he talking about? It's going to betray him. Who is it? Twice in Revelation, John's having this encounter. He's before an angel who's telling him what's going on. And John twice in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, and 22, verse 8, same thing. John, the apostle and the prophet, 
falls down and starts to worship an angel in heaven. <laughs> and the angel has the same reaction that looks like on your face. He goes, don't do that. What are you doing? We don't do that here. You're going to get us both killed. What are you doing? Get up. I'm just a slave like you, the angel says to John. I'm just a slave like you. We're all serving the master. What are you doing? The glory that you see on me is just reflected glory from him. You need to go to the source. What are you doing? John gets enamored with the glory that an angel carries. And the angel's like, stupid, get away from me. So amazing. And then he says this phenomenal thing, right? You'll know this verse in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. The angel says to John at the end of that verse, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The spirit of prophecy that the Holy Spirit breathes always testifies, points to, and exalts the person of the Lord Jesus. If it's exalting a man, it's not right. If it's exalting a gift, it's not right. If it's exalting a pleasure, it's not right. If it's exalting a house, a car, or land, it's not right. The Spirit of the Lord, what did Jesus say in John chapter 16, verse 14? He will, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me. Because he will take the things of me and he'll show them to you. How do you glorify Jesus? You show him for who he really is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. His mission is the same as the Father's. He's always exalting the Son. And so if you tell me that you're having experiences in the Holy Spirit that are doing all kinds of whacked out things and pointing you in other directions, then I'm going to say that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was a different spirit. Because the Holy Spirit always points every eye, every heart to the Son of God as being the only one to worship, as being the Father's delight, and as being our heart's desire. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When the Spirit of God speaks, He exalts the Son. I wrote down here, true slaves don't allow other slaves to worship them. Do everything in that name. Do everything in that name. The name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything. Whatever you say, whatever you do, everything, everything, because he is everything. Do everything in that name. So our lives are actually aligned in a very narrow focus towards the Son of God and what he wants. Exalting him. Giving him the honor. My brothers and sisters, in this house, Jesus Christ is going to be the focus, the center, the passion, and the exalted one. Man worship, experience worship, gift worship will not be allowed here. We're not going to do that. Angel worship, not going to do that. 
the Son of God. Because the Father loves when His Son is exalted. That is His agenda. Do you, do you know that Jesus assigned this agenda to us as our prayer agenda? Right? Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven, let your name be hallowed. What is the first on the prayer request? We're asking God to make his name hallowed and treasured and rightly honored. Because that's the most important thing. This is priority prayers. Getting our needs met, having our sins forgiven, all of that's important, but that's down the list. On the top of the list, the top three. Come on, here's your top three. Father, your name be hallowed. You know what's interesting? Here I am, the, the little nerdy guy with the Greek again. But this is, the, those first three, they're all in the imperative mood in, in the Greek. And so they're commands. They're urgent. The other ones in there are not. Only the first three. So it would read something like this. If you were a Greek person and read this. Father, your name must be hallowed. It has to be. You have to make sure your name is hallowed. Father, your kingdom must come. Your agenda must come. Nobody else's but yours, your kingdom. It has to happen. And Lord, your will must come to pass. It has to. That is a command. The Father is asking us to partner with him in what he's declaring over the universe and over our lives. He's commanding and the thing that he's putting on our prayer list. Our prayer list is that, Father, your name be rightly honored. Your name has to be rightly honored and treasured above everything else. That's our prayer list. Disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He goes, okay, this might be a shock to you. But your agenda in prayer and mine are completely different. You're about, God, help me with my job, help me with my car. I'm not saying that's illegitimate. Help me with my situations, fix my stuff. He's like, all that will come in turn. But you have to get the priorities right first. Your name. Your name has to be treasured. Your kingdom has to come. And your will has to be done. You guys okay? Will, will, will you agree with me that this is our agenda in this house? That Jesus is rightly honored here? No matter what else happens... He's got to be rightly honored in this house. Right, will, will you stand with me and let's just make some declarations as a people? Let's make some declarations. Say this with me. Father, in this house, Jesus will be exalted. Jesus will be the center. Jesus will be rightly honored. Jesus will be our true treasure. And nothing else. We will not try to dilute him. We will not add things to him. We will exalt him in our midst and in this body. Father, in this house, I will exalt Jesus. In the way that I worship, in the way that I pray, in the way that I live my life, I want Jesus to be rightly honored. Jesus is my Lord. He is supreme. He is above everything else. 
And his agenda is what I seek. Father, in this house, you will have a people that is centered and passionate about your son. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Praise the Lord. You know what this is? This is what every ministry and every gift is in the body. It's a glove. Without the hand, why is it that we always want to have a selfie with the glove? Is that your picture on the wall with a glove? Dude, what's that all about? Just saying. There, there, there is a line for rightly appreciating and honoring, but it's not the line of worship. It's not the line of obsession. At the end of the day, every gift, and you all carry gifts. We all have our deposit of grace. We all need each other. At the end of the day, when we stand before Jesus, we're going to get rewarded for one thing. That is faithfulness to what the Son of God told us to do. And we're going to realize that everything that we had or that every person had, regardless of how stellar and spectacular it seemed like they were, was just lifeless without the hand of the Son of God inside. Do you know why in heaven, that's why every crown immediately when the Lamb of God comes on the scene, what happens to all the crowns? Get that off of my head. I didn't do it. The hand did it. The hand did it. Every crown, we're going to recognize intuitively that whatever good happened, that whatever good is in our life, you, you should say this. I say this to myself in the mirror sometimes. It's, it's real. I, I know I'm quirky. I'm right. Like, Every good thing that is inside of you has come because the Son of God has put it in you. You didn't make it up. You didn't earn it. You didn't build it up. He gave it to you as a free gift. This is Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians who love to dance around the apostolic. Apollos, Paul, Cephas, Christ. Oh, we're, all, we're the apostolic. I get it. I'm not dissing. Hear my heart. I know it sounds like I am, but I'm not. I'm just trying to get rid of foolishness that takes our eyes away from the Son of God. Paul asked the question. Oh, I'm just about done. Thank you guys for bearing with me. What do you receive? Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, so what is it that you have received or that you have that you did not receive as a gift? And then he, he answers the question himself. So then if you received it, why do you boast about it as if you hadn't received it as a gift? Tough question from the Son of God. Why do you boast about the thing that you have and that you carry? I don't know, this language sometimes is 
side. I feel jealousy in my heart for the Lord Jesus and for his honor in our midst. I do. But here's the issue. We need to recognize in the history of revivals, people has just been littered with all kinds of garbage. Even though the gifts and the power of God were real, there was so much junk. And my heart is, Lord, bring your glory, bring your power, bring the sweeping move of your spirit. But let, you, let, let us be a pure people whose hearts are really about you. When we're not going to fall down and worship a person or a gift or an angel or a phenomenon or a whatever. We're going to worship you and recognize that every good thing that happens, it came because there was a hand in the glove the stinking glove is nothing without him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm closing with this. We had a, we had a music group at, when I was at Rama in Tulsa. There was a spoof music group called the Trumpets of Zion. And they played, they were actually pretty good musicians. But they would play little different spoof songs. And, you know, the, the, the people would cheer and the guy who was the lead singer, you know, this Elvis thing, like, was like, and he had the microphone up there, and he, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. And then he said this phrase, and it stuck with me. He was just obviously spoofing, but he said, thank you, thank you very much. We want to give God some of the glory. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what we do. And at the end of the day, just saying, no, we're going to give God all. I love you guys. Thanks for putting up with my edginess. Um, have a great day and a great week. We're moving somewhere with the Lord. <laughs>